0: We need to address loneliness.
1: It is literally killing us. But more and more, the research is telling us that there are real health consequences of loneliness. Results in a 29% increased risk of heart diseases. That's equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes every day. The
0: problem is that more and more people are lonely today. In fact, it's almost one in three.
1: We must connect to people. We must engage with people. Time and time and time and time again, it's community that saves us. My name is Rachel Abel and this is The Missing Piece. I'm a leadership specialist and community builder at UNSW and I'm also known as Head of Making Friends. The most important thing to me here at the uni is to make sure our 60,000 students feel connected, that they belong, they matter. In our now hyper-connected world, we're facing a loneliness epidemic which is taking a serious toll on our health and our well-being and could be the next economic and public health crisis. Working at a university, I've come across so much research that points to community as the missing piece to helping solve this very real issue. But building community is really hard. So I thought I'd go out into the real world and interview the likely and the not so likely experts about how they build their communities. I'd like to share with you what we've learned and what the science says about how to build open and sustainable communities that boost connection and reduce loneliness. Why? We believe community really is the key to future-proofing education and also your business, our public services and personal relationships. Because belonging is better. Cafes are a regular meeting place for people. Quite simply, the neighbourhood cafe is a structure from which the community can hang off or lean into. Research across various disciplines reflects the importance of these spaces as a place where ideas can be shared and connections can be built. These physical spaces grow connections through regular usage, such as the daily habit of your morning latte, which I was very happy to know really does foster a sense of belonging. But the cafe we're in today isn't like most others. There's something or a few things about Cornersmith which takes the experience much further and people are responding. I'm here right amongst the hubbub of the busy Cornersmith Cafe in Annandale with Alex Elliott Harry, founder, owner, pickler, teacher, writer, mother, not sure if that's the (laughs) right order for you Alex, but um, Alex opened the first of the Cornersmith cafes in Marrickville with her husband James Grant seven years ago and immediately struck a chord with the community. Soon after, they opened a picklery by the same name, and three years ago, the very cafe we're sitting in today in Annandale. Good morning, Alex. Thank you so much for talking to us today. I'm really excited to find out more about Corner Smith, um, and I'm first of all really interested to know which came first: was it the cafe or the pickery? Did you always intend for the business to be um, to, grow? to evolve this way? No,
0: it's a it was sort of b- very accidental. Mm. So I reckon we opened the cafe. with just like this little idea where we thought we'd put our heads together and see if we could kind of make the kind of cafe that we wanted to go to I guess so yeah. we kind of had these we, li- we like to go out a lot James was in the coffee industry I'm really into food so we just thought we'd see if we could come up with th- the best cafe that we could yeah really so it started off we had one staff member and um, yeah and that was like in Marrickville in Marrickville, in Marrickville. Yeah. Mm. yeah in 2012 and it kind of exploded From there.
1: So did the community in Marrickville like instantly warm to the kind of cafe that you created there?
0: Um, Look, it's a funny story really because we live in the area, so we're Mm -hmm. locals. At that time in Marrickville, it was a very different neighbourhood. So lots of Vietnamese restaurants, lots of Greek restaurants and a few kind of cafes but that kind of old school sort of espresso and paninis, like that was was all that they were doing. And we came in with something, quite a different idea. So we spent, I don't know, maybe three months, like no longer, six months, setting it up ourselves. So like James was like digging trenches and I was painting the ceiling and yeah. my dad came down and did the tiling. And we spent a really long time setting up this shop. And then finally we opened the doors and it was, it looked different. To yep that what people were expecting it to be. But there was – you could feel that there was a buzz. There was excitement in the air as well. And after one week of sort of like, oh, so excited, we came um, down one morning and all the windows had been smashed in. (gasps)
1: Oh, my word. And it had written all on
0: the the walls. Like, I think it said – off and die yuppies oh, wow. or something like quite intense yeah and we were so shocked and heartbroken must we could been. Be like, well, we're not yuppies but also and that was literally our first week in our first week and it was also mm-hmm. the heart of our business and we put so yeah. much effort in and it wasn't yep. like we were starbucks so it kind of set us off on this like oh my god the neighborhood doesn't want us yeah but what um spiraled out of that is that in that day while we were like sweeping up the glass people came down with like bunches of homegrown rosemary someone came down with a watermelon with a bow on it and cards and it just kind of like letters like people had written us letters about how much they wanted us to be part of this community and they were looking forward to seeing the new Merrickville and I just spent the whole day like crying and hugging strangers so I think that it kind of spiraled like in a way it was kind of good to have this kind of quite um intense thing happen and then set us up to move forward
1: And build community around that. Yeah, so, I mean, that is, you know, I mean, you couldn't imagine a more kind of intense beginning to a life of a business, really. But did that kind of response from the community then really shape what the business became?
0: Well, well, look, we'd gone in with this idea that we wanted to make a business that kind of took the ethos that we live by at home and Mm. to see if we could make that work in a business setting. So it had already started. And so I guess the word around the neighbourhood was spreading that these guys are doing something a bit different, these Mm. guys are locals, they're about community and kind of maybe about all the stuff that a lot of people... Care about, you know, like knowing where your food comes from and environmental issues. And so, yes, I think it did. We'd started off with this business, like putting it out there that we were going to do something
1: that felt like. Good for the community, yeah, and then that just strengthened it. So, is that the the ethos that you're talking about in mm. terms of that kind of farm to plate, kind of all source that you know where your food is coming from? Is mm. that how how would you describe the ethos around? around the you said from your home to then your yeah. cafe. Yeah.
0: So, look, it kind of started James and I. Um, I mean, we're married and we have kids, and yeah. but we, I guess, come from kind of two different angles that have kind of merged together and made what Cornersmith is, um, James comes from a permaculture background yep. and then kind of got out of that world and moved into coffee and roasting and bars and, like, deep into hospoland. land. And I come actually from a um, creative arts background but then a yeah. real obsession with food. So when I was home with the kids when they were really little and James was, you know, working in cafes and bars, um, I really got into trying to figure out What was wrong with the food system and Mm. with food and I wanted to feed my family really well but I'm a kind of quite obsessive personality so once I realised that there was issues I just did heaps of research yeah and then I realised that we massively have to change the way that we eat and I think especially living in urban areas so I did heaps of research and over that time kind of changed really dramatically how I shopped, cooked Um, um, you know disposed of food and just everything kind of shifted so what came the research that came out for me is that we need to eat seasonally we need to stop eating imported foods we need to stop eating packaged foods we need to be less reliant on the supermarkets but we also need to get to know our neighbours and kind of come together mm. as one. Mm. So that was really important to yep. me. I also wanted to know how to feed my family without having to rely on all these supermarkets. Mm. So I got into cooking from scratch and, like, seriously, I was trying to make Vegemite for the children and they just cried. It was disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know,
1: I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that Vegemite was necessarily no, the best exactly. place to start, but, <laughs> but that's
0: you know. How, kind of a, that's how <laughs> deep I was going. Everything was off the table and I was just going to make yeah. everything from scratch. It was probably a little bit of a nervous Breakdown on some, on, a cry for help. No, that we're I'm like, like peas <laughs> in a pod. I, you know, if
1: I get yeah. onto a topic, I research yeah. it absolutely, exactly the same. Yeah, I was gonna ask because when you were embarking on that journey trying to feed your family in a different mm. way and kind of engage with the food supply chain in a different mm. way how difficult did you find it to find people who so are suppliers so
0: difficult yeah. um i mean i would go to the supermarket with like all my apps you know because there's yeah. a million apps that tell you how to you know what to buy and but i would just have like an empty trolley and like yeah. defeated and guilt on my shoulders so that's why i went into the cooking from scratch um, but over that time when I started thinking about food waste and I started thinking about eating locally and, you know, under, like joining partners with your neighbours in order to mm, feed the neighbourhood. Mm. So I started noticing – I just was looking at the world differently. So I started noticing that in um, our area in Dalit Hill, there's heaps of fruit trees, heaps of veggie patches because it's an old Greek and Vietnamese neighbourhood. Yeah, New families have come in and they're not picking the fruit. So they don't know how to manage – the amount ah, of that's produce that's being grown yeah. in the urban area. Yep. So I would watch, you know, kumquats rotten on the ground in winter or figs in summer and I was mm. beside myself. So I just kind of was like, something's got to be done. Like maybe I can start saving fruit from my neighbourhood so I started knocking on people's doors like a nutter and I always <laughs> took the kids so they didn't think I was a robber
1: <laughs> or just a weirdo and make I sure that <laughs> the children were dressed well with yeah, clean faces you know we're a nice family I'm seeing that
0: so we um I started knocking the doors if they and I would just say you know all those grapefruits would you mind mm. if I picked them or would you like you know, could I have them? And most people were just so grateful that someone was... Yeah. ...wanting to deal with this produce that they've been... ...like, been rotting in their backyards... ...and they've probably been feeling guilty about. So I'd take it home, teach myself to preserve it... ...because I felt like preserving was something. I was like, there's something in this preserving... Mm. ...but I hadn't quite joined all the dots yet. Yep preserve something and if it was good I would drop a jar back to that person and that's when I built up this connection with these people in my neighborhood that mm. I would never have talked to otherwise.
1: I love the fact you were like the jam fairy. Right? I, I like would like have been fairy, beside exactly. myself with happiness <laughs> so somebody <laughs> have just been
0: depositing your rubbish yes. and then dropped it back into yeah. something edible. So what kind of happened over that time is that people were giving me their grandmother's recipes, or we were mm. talking about plants, or you know, wh- you know that when the best time to pick your Seville oranges is, or whatever it yeah. is, like all these old kind of yeah. conversations, and I loved it, and I didn't, again, I didn't quite know what I was doing. I just thought it was, i was filling intuitive. up my time as yeah, well, and yeah. in, and and learning. Yeah. So the word spread around the neighbourhood and I would open my front door and there'd be a bag of chocos <laughs> or a box. You know, James would be yelling out, there's more bloody fruit <laughs> on the doorstep and I'd be cheering.
1: And I would imagine your kitchen at this point, you'd have had huge massive saucepans full of various yeah. things bubbling and on the go All at different ways. times. Yeah.
0: And I was hardly cooking dinner. I was just yeah. making like Jam. Yeah, 30 yeah, litres great. of yeah. passata or whatever <laughs> it was. So it kind mm-hmm. of, you know, it half worked. Um, And anyway, I started filling up the garage with all the stuff that I was making, because once you start, you just realise how much you can make as well.
1: So, more and more research is telling us that the key to building sustainable communities is to focus on existing community assets. Kretzmann and McKnight's ABCD model, that's Asset-Based Community Development, acknowledges that all members of communities have skills, knowledge, networks and experiences that they can use. To improve their community. By engaging her neighbours in this way, Alex has tapped into those existing assets. And you already had, I guess, then um, the connection with the community because you would have been quite well known as this crazy, the crazy lady who would yeah. pick up the comports and <laughs> yeah, deliver exactly. you. Yeah, yeah.
0: So once we opened, I liked what was going on so much in that time when I was knocking on people's doors that I decided to see if we could make that work in the business. Mm. So, I mean, look, our menu was written around local produce, seasonal produce, knowing where stuff comes from. Yep. Very simple, very home-cooked, not food fatty, not health food, just good, good food. Yeah. Um, and obviously with a preserving element because I had a garage full of stuff I needed <laughs> to, to use. Yes. So when we when I went back to the cafe, I just kind of thought, how do we get that? How do we get that across to people? And mm-hmm. um, I, still knowing that there was so much produce just in our area in people's backyards, so I wrote up a little blackboard. I think it was before Instagram even, well, before I knew about Instagram, and I just wrote up on the blackboard that we were looking for extra ho- excess produce. Yep. And... I reckon from that day stuff rolled in. So there was this guy across the road who, you know, was a suit and tie city worker. Yep. And every morning he would drop past a huge bag of rocket. Wow. And we would give him his coffee on the way to the train station. He'd give us the rocket. And it was kind of this gentleman's agreement bartering yep. you know, yep. trading system. And then is that uh, how it works with everybody? So if somebody
1: drops something mm, off, there's something kind yeah. of in return. Yeah, I mean most people don't want anything; they yep. just
0: want to know that whatever they've grown that they can't That's eat gonna get used. isn't going to just yeah. go to waste. Yep. So I think it was the choco that really set off the um, the whole trading system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is very, you know, I mean, you hardly see them anymore. But yeah, they, um, we needed we'd run out of cucumber pickles for our sandwiches. And I didn't know what else I could pickle in yep. summer. You know, I was sort of new to it all as well. And then I don't know. I think James said, "What about a choco? Because they're kind of crunchy and they're fresh."
1: And I don't even know what a choco is. Oh. You need to explain to oh, me whether right. yeah, I have oh, no it's idea. It's kind
0: of like a, it's a fruit vegetable. I'm going to say fruit somewhere between like cucumber, apple, pear. It kind oh, of okay. has not yeah. a lot of flavor. Yeah, it absorbs any flavor. Very crunchy. Ah. They're very Australian. Like they used to grow yeah. on the back, you know, outdoor dunnies out the back. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, they were okay. kind of this thing that like Australians thought were, you know, their mums used to like overboil them and cook them, so everyone's a bit
1: scarred kind by them. Kind of, sort of like a Brussels Sprite, in the same yeah. kind of yeah. way. Yeah. In, same in, in the same context of that's English sensibility yeah. in terms of an overcooked sprite. Yeah. All the same. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Got
0: it. Got it. So we then, but they make amazing pickles. Yeah, because they're crunchy and they fresh and everyone's I'm gonna got have to try one yeah then. I okay. love pickles I'll give you the, the recipe yeah. yeah um so I did a call out for chocos yeah. and I think I put that on social media as well as on our boards and in it rolled <laughs> and people were just like bags of chocos yeah. were coming to the door so I started closing the cafes on Monday just for pickling which was not a good business move but it was adorable and you know it kind of pushed yeah, the business in a different direction. Yeah, um, and that's where we would just preserve whatever excess had come in. But the trading system is massive. Mm. Um, I reckon we trade almost every day. It's grown into something that I didn't expect it to grow into, mm.
1: and I'm fascinated with why people do it. I'm really interested by that aspect of what you're talking about because you it is kind of, something that started organically. Mm. But you were responding to a need that the community had. So mm. you started off as part of that community and kind of walking past and seeing all this produce that was going to waste. But then you obviously tapped into the zeitgeist around the local community. There was something that really other people needed from mm. you. And then you've you've met that need in the community, which I think is really interesting.
0: Yeah, it is really interesting. And I can't, I you know, I mean, it, I've been doing it for eight years and I still feel like I can't quite put my finger on why do people go to the effort of picking their entire kumquat tree, you know, which is work and labour or their grapefruits or whatever it is, you know, packaging it up in boxes or whatever, driving to our cafe and dropping it off. Like, it's not like they're getting a lot of money for it. Yeah. They might get a jar of pickles or a cup of coffee. I mean, these people can afford these things as well. So there's mm. something in it that's bigger than yeah. that. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, after talking to hundreds of people about it I just think that people are looking to connect and especially in urban areas like mm. that's lost yeah and it's uh, you know it's it startles me it's not just locals people come from all over I've had people post me a box of apples like you know like I'm just like what is this what yeah, is this about why is this amazing. happening but yeah. it gives us so much pleasure to watch yeah That has kind of grown and evolved in itself to hear everyone's stories. Our chefs love it, the picklers love it. It's become a really beautiful
1: part of what we do. So, what drives us to give in the first place? Social psychology tells us it could be gratitude, which is the quality or state of being thankful for what you receive. Researchers from the University of Nottingham have established that the feelings of gratitude that we get when we receive kindness from others is what increases the likelihood that we will reciprocate. This is what drives us to return a favour. But researchers have also identified some surprising aspects of reciprocity that give us a clue as to why people contribute without getting something in return, like donating a beetroot. In upstream reciprocity, Sam helps Olivia, and then Olivia feeling grateful for Sam's kindness is motivated to pay this kindness forward. In downstream reciprocity, Jamie sees Sam help Olivia and is grateful that people like Sam exist. So Jamie helps Sam. In Alex's trading system, these acts of kindness aren't purely transactional and are instead perhaps motivated by gratitude for what a community like Cornersmith stands for. I, I love that your defining moment was that choco.
0: Yeah, choco. The choco, <laughs> <Yeah>. choco, choco <laughs> incident.
1: Um, you can tell I'm not Australian. Yeah. Um, there's a huge amount of science that goes behind, you know, a lot of what you're talking about in terms of that personal human connection mm. and how we've eroded that as we've, you know, changed into this modern society where there's that lack of connection um, and there's also you know a, a lot around how cafes have become that community hub Yeah. what's really interesting as well is I guess the surprise that I have in that people have got that much produce because you would have thought as you were saying that these gardens were often planted maybe one two three generations ago yeah. and you know there's obviously people though who are still growing a lot so there is so much especially in the inner west yeah. yeah yeah so people really want that connection as well with their with their food yeah. and knowing where it's going yeah um, and they're creating they're able to create something too via you to yeah. have it tied into something else and then it
0: goes into within the community we turn it into something it feeds the community yeah. so it kind of ticks all the boxes yeah. around uh, th- whatever that whatever that is that is in people that you know we it does get uh, it it kind of gets watered down, or I don't know. It's gone. It feels like, but it's like it's like it's like
1: uh, instinct, yeah. you know, yeah. to
0: connect around food. Yeah. It's
1: a basic human yeah. desire to be connected yeah. with other people, but also to be to be able to share that experience yeah, and
0: sharing and feeding yeah. and. Yeah. Yeah, and it's look, it's been an incredible part of what we do. And look, sometimes it's an absolute pain in the ass. Like I don't yes. want sometimes <laughs> I don't want thirty kilos of grapefruits one yeah. day. And I'm like, Oh my god, what are we gonna do with them? But what you know, we've we are in a position where we have the pickle kinda of came out of that trading programme because I was like, We have so much produce. Yeah. So how do we now Turn this part of the business, which can't really be sustained in a little cafe, yep. into the next thing. Into so, the next we thing, set up yeah. the picklery, which was um, a place to uh, for us to make all our pickles and preserves, and that's where we run the cooking school. And the cooking school started because I realised people are growing all this produce. They don't know what to do with it. Yeah. They don't know how to deal with yep. bulk. They want to They want to have the skills, but they haven't been taught the skills. Mm. So that's why we started the cooking school, which, again, has just exploded. And yeah. I, like, I can't tell you how many people want to learn how to pickle. It's ridiculous, actually.
1: And, again, you're responding to something that the community were telling you. So mm. the community was saying, actually, we'd really like to know how to do this. How does that tie in with your business ethos? Because, obviously, if you're teaching all of these people to pickle... Mm. You know at some point are they not going to need
0: my pickles your pickles <laughs> um, or is there such a need for
1: pickle because well you know.
0: yes I mean like for me the pickle is symbolic of yeah. what our business is about so look if there ever comes a day where we can't sell any more pickles <laughs> then there'll <laughs> be another there'll be another thing for us to yeah. do but for me it symbolizes everything that I think needs to be the future of food yeah so I kind of look at it in that way. Um, this, But no, I mean, people come to my classes and then three weeks later I see them, like, filling up their bags with our pickles. i like, what are you doing? And it's sort of people want to know these skills. They want to know how to do it. Yep. But it takes a long time to kind of incorporate it
1: properly into your... Yep into your life and your kitchen, really. And are you finding that those people are also starting, maybe people who weren't growing produce before are starting to now want to become more part of this community that you're building? Are they starting to grow more produce and then deliver more produce?
0: Yeah, and I think, look, I would say, you know, there's a small percentage of people that come that actually have excess produce, like maybe a third of the people that come to our classes are coming because they're like, I have an out-of-control lemon tree. I don't know what to do. But the majority of people are coming... I don't know. It's another thing that I'm obsessed with. Like I ask every person that walks in the door, "Why are you here?" Yeah, and they come because half of them come because they need to deal with their produce. Half of them come because they didn't learn these skills, and it's not just pickling. There's a million skills that we do. Yeah, they didn't learn these skills from their own families, communities, mm. grandparents, whatever. Mm. So they and they're realizing that they didn't do that, but how important yeah. that is, and they yep. want to be able to carry on the tradition. Yeah, so they're coming to me to learn how to do that. Yeah. Um, other people come because they want to talk to other people. Yeah they want to connect with other people. they love food. We have I was thinking about the kind of people that come to our classes. I have a lot of people whose um, children have grown up and moved out of home. And they're, I think, suddenly a bit like, whoa, hang on, what do I do? Yeah, so I have got a, a lot of cupboard full of jars. Mm, I've got, yeah, yep. and I've always wanted to do this, and now I have time. And mm. they're the repeat customers; they yep. come back and they come back and they come back. So they're, they're kind of a really interesting demographic that are not really a lot of them know how to cook. Are good cooks have been doing it for a long time, mm. but they're looking for a social connection as well. I
1: think. Do you think that some of what you're offering here, because what what you're describing there almost sounds like that kind of old-fashioned, old-school community centre approach. Yeah. Do you yeah, think that's yeah. some of what you're kind of the the you Yeah, that interesting.
0: Yeah, that's a really that's a really nice way to look at it because I have always been quite obsessed with the Country Women's Association, yeah. and yeah. I'm like, Ooh. yeah. What is that? Um, but then when it's I look, it's really in strong in Australia. Still, so, I strong, yeah. so strong, so yeah. strong. But when I look into it, I'm like, oh, it's not quite for me. And mm. I've been obsessed with wanting to start a city women's association. Yes. Except it needs to be city people, and you know, there's a lot of you know, it needs to be yeah. updated, <laughs> yeah. basically. But I do, yes, I do think that. I mean, obviously, it's different because people have to pay for to come to the classes. Yep. But yes. They come, they're, like, everyone's so excited to be there for the day. Um, And, yeah, it's, you know, it really does fascinate me, all these, and the different types that are coming. It's not all women. We have um, young people. We have, you know, I have this one woman who comes all the time and she's an investment banker, like, works massive hours. And she must be in her late 20s. Like, she's quite young. Yeah. And she comes and she, you know, I'm like, why are you here? You don't really have time. And she said, I am in my office all the time. This is where I feel like I've got my feet on the ground.
1: Whether it's a men's shed, a knitting group, community garden or sitting around the campfire, there's something about being shoulder to shoulder while focused on a task that creates an opportunity to connect. A study from the University of Adelaide has highlighted, for example, the positive role that shared community gardens can play in building connection. Urban agriculture offers a way to benefit our bodies, our environment, and our community, as while we garden together, we form social ties. Communal projects like this, and Men's Shed, help to encourage people to share their knowledge and help one another, meaning that while those veggies are growing, our sense of community is too. I'm interested in, because you've talked about location, I'm really interested in the connection between community and place Mm -hmm. anyway, but talking about the inner west as well so a couple of times you've mentioned about the kind of the nature of the inner west in sydney and how that kind of works in terms of the kinds of people and the kinds of you know people have got gardens here for example yeah do you think this model work would work Some. i mean For purely selfish reasons, would you move to the North Shore? (laughs) For example, I'm just kind of thinking, you know, it'd be great to have it around the corner. Interestingly,
0: I reckon once a week I get an email and someone's taken a photo of a shop near their house (laughs) and said, you should open here. I'm doing the same next week, which is hilarious. Um, Yes, I think this model would work. Yeah. But what I do think works for Cornersmith for us. And look, it's not, we don't just have Cornersmiths because they're near our house and it's easy to get to, but that is part of the reason. Like, yeah. it's our area. You're
1: based in the community. Yeah. And you work in yeah, the community. In the community. Yeah. So if
0: I was to open in your neighborhood, I don't know your neighborhood. Yeah. I don't know your people. I don't know. And I look, I don't think it's hard to do that, but I kind of want this model to, yeah. I want you to open your version yes. of that in your neighborhood. So it's, it's or for someone that else. community. So it's for that community, because mm. I do think that part of it is, you know, like our kids are at the local school and we're at the you know fair yeah. on the weekend or whatever it is that we're immersed in our neighborhood
1: I, I really like that because you you are an emerging leader of your community because you are yeah. based and you have those connections and you've been living in this community for a long time yeah. and this is built up around you so that support and that linkage then people have with you yeah. is really strong yeah mm. sometimes it's a little bit over the top. Yeah. As well. Like
0: we're trying to go on a date and someone tries to show me <laughs> the photo of their broad beans or, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is. I think that's, that's highly that. romantic. Yeah I think exactly. that's fabulous. But there is that is really um yeah, yeah, I kind of I don't for the future of cornersmith, I can't really see it growing in that it's me and James growing it. Because yep. we can't like how many cornersmiths can you have in the inner west? Yep. Whereas we need It's kind of like I want... I was hoping that more people would take on this trading program and look, maybe they have, but I feel like it works so well. Yeah. So just kind of figuring out, I guess you've got to have... And look, James and I are both like nutters, so it's kind of worked that there's two of us forging forward as well
1: I think often as well when you see businesses really thrive there's mm. somebody who is incredibly passionate yeah. and connected to what they're doing yeah. and when you see somebody who's really connected with their purpose yeah. in that role you know it really shines out yeah, of, it's of true them. Yeah. and I think people you know
0: the main like we get you know people send emails and the main thing is like it just all feels so sincere and like that's such a nice thing to hear because a lot of business isn't
1: yeah yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's great. You're starting to kind of think about growth because obviously all businesses get to a point where you kind of need to keep evolving and mm. keep growing. So mm. the the popularity of the, the workshops that you're running, is mm. there a way that you can bring that kind of education you know and obviously coming from the university space it's mm. really interesting to see when you get something that people really engage with like how can you deliver those skills and that knowledge to more people yeah
0: yeah look i think um you know for me the future of the business is not cafes it is the education mm. the cafe is a nice framework that it can kind of bounce off and a really accessible way for people to engage with what we're doing without having to commit to coming to a workshop or you know they get a little taste of it yeah um but the workshops and the education is what I want to grow um and I think that uh, you know I feel like really what needs to happen is that people who own businesses need to come to me that's yeah. what, how we. That's how we grow this. Yeah. And that's. I don't know really how to do that. I don't want to mm-hmm. have a Cornersmith franchise. Yeah. But if there
1: could be a way to have a sustainable franchise then i so would be really interested in that if i'm a cafe owner and i'm on the you know northern beaches and mm. i love what you're doing mm. i could come to you and you could mentor me or put me through a training program and then i could learn some of the ways that i can then build that community. that would be there. an amazing thing yeah. to
0: do it is not set up please don't call me for that yeah. yet <laughs> but,
1: but if you're interested but that yeah. is that is yeah.
0: what um you know, that's re- kind of where we want to go. And yep. I think, you know, I don't just teach workshops in the inner west. I have so many, like all councils. So the North Shore Council, yep. I just taught in Mossman last week. They get me to come and teach to their neighbourhood or schools get me to come and teach or so many different groups. Yeah. And I guess it, it is spreading in that way. Yeah.
1: Um, and in that way, you, you know, you can start a movement. That's, you know, a movement around cafes around Sydney and yeah. you know, eventually the world, clearly. That, clearly you know, the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm really interested as well, coming from the university sector, looking mm-hmm. at how we want to try and build community in our university campuses so you know being able to connect students and we have a um there's a facebook page that the students run called free food on campus so if at any point during the week or the day there is free food being offered somewhere they post it and then you'll find queues and queues of hundreds of students kind of coming up. But what's really lovely about that as well is that they're congregating around food so that creates a sense of community and just really interested in in your thoughts because you've created that sense of community in the cafe but also Mm. around your education programme as well. Is there something that you do when you're teaching and talking to people in the workshops where you talk about community and how important that is?
0: Yeah, and I think, look, I feel like that my story of that, you know, that kind of accidental thing that I was doing with the uh, picking neighbours fruit is very accessible to people people can yeah. um, either you know imagine themselves doing that or think it's hilarious or you know whatever it whatever it is yeah. so I guess I always tell those those kind of starting stories as yep. the as the beginning I get before my workshops I get everyone to introduce themselves and um What kind of comes out of that is that people want to talk. Like I often, I'm like, okay, we've got to move on now. We've got you (laughs) know 17 other people to get to. Because they want to share their story. They want to share their story. So they will tell me about their grandmothers. Sauerkraut in Russia, and how you know, and then they didn't do this, and blah, blah blah blah. Or they'll tell me about their tree that they're growing, or why they're here. And some people are very honest, and they're just yeah. like, I'm a bit lonely, and I want to, yeah. I want to see people, and I want to meet people in my own neighbourhood. So I'm doing a really interesting project with the MCA and um, the Plant Library out yeah. in the Western suburbs at the moment. So this artist called Lauren Brink- Brinkat has done a Plant Library. Out um, in an area like one of those new suburbs, and the main thing that people are struggling there with is how to meet their neighbours and um, also having enough green, having enough plants in their neighbourhood. So she has brought me into, I taught workshops in the lead up to this, Mm -hmm. and it was so interesting to watch all these people so nervous because most people like barge their way into my workshops because you know they know the area or whatever, quite nervous coming in kind of thinking it was amazing that there was something in this neighbourhood yeah. like like the preserving or pickling workshops and then everyone going around and most people saying, I just need to – I want to get to know my neighbours, I care about food, I care about the environment – but there's no shops here. There's only supermarkets. And then by the end of it, like people swapping numbers, or someone saying, you know, come around and get some eggs from me this weekend, yeah, or come around and I'll give you some lemongrass. Or and I just spent the whole time kind of crying behind my sunglasses. Yeah. But there's
1: that's that's for me. That's what all of this is about. That's fascinating as well because obviously the inner west is. Uh, you know, he's been here for a number of years, so there's connections and it's it's grown up in a way that has evolved with, you know, local shops and, you know, cafes. And so many migrants which bring a different energy around food. Whereas these kind of newly built suburbs Mm. often aren't aren't Mm. necessarily built. There is there is a movement where people are starting to plan out those communities in a much more cohesive way. But often there's no school, there's no shop, there's no kind of meeting place for people. So you're kind of again Mm. seem to be kind of filling that gap
0: yeah exactly and I Mm. think you know people come or people get me to come to their talk at these events for very different reasons and yes it is that's what I was saying like the pickling is symbolic of something Mm. it's not really like they're not we're not really there to talk about pickling like we are and they learn the skill and that's great but we're there to talk about everything around that
1: yeah yeah so what you're describing I'm kind of I'm seeing all of the produce turning up and all the pickling going on, and for me, like, what's going on in the cafe whilst all this is happening? Like, people are dropping off bok choy and they're getting their latte, <laughs> and you know, that are people actually coming in and sitting down and eating? And what, what other things yeah, kind of happen?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, number one, really, we are a cafe, and a lot yeah. of people come to the cafe without really much awareness. Of what else is yeah. happening. Yeah. I think we have lots of different customers. Like we have customers who are here because they're a young customer in the yes, background. There. A yeah, a lot of babies. Yeah, yeah, as yeah, well. lot of babies. Um, but there's, you know, we have the customers who are coming here because they just want to have a cup of coffee yeah. and they want to get a sandwich and they want to get out of here. We have customers who are coming because I feel like maybe there's some people who maybe can't do this stuff at home themselves, but feel like I'm putting my money somewhere. I'm supporting a business that does do it so that yeah. comes back onto onto me. Because you're a social impact for Yeah, purpose, yeah. or maybe it says something about, like, I'm mm-hmm. the kind of person that goes to Smiths. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 So I feel like yeah. there's people who use yep. it in that way. Um, and then um, there's a lot of people who use our space, and I think, you know, particularly in Merrickville, but also here, that either work in the space. Like, yeah. they bring their laptops, and there's a lot of um, creatives yeah that and just come here
1: and use our space i find that really fascinating how mm. the world of work is shifting so lots yeah. more people are, are using home as a base but actually they kind of want a bit of human connection yeah, absolutely. during their working and day. they want you
0: can see they want the buzz around them but yep. they kind
1: of want to be on
0: their own doing yep. their own work yeah i mean which is the opposite of me i just want to be alone when i can but, <laughs> but i can see
1: why it's so appealing because what you're talking about, it sounds like you have a huge variety of different sorts of people, but really mm. what connects them is wanting to be part of this Cornersmith, this I world think, that you've created. Yeah, look,
0: I think some people do, and some people use us just like a regular just cafe, okay.
1: you know? because great flat I, Yeah, exactly, because yeah.
0: we do, our food's really good, our coffee's yeah. really good, um, you don't have to engage in all the the other stuff that goes on yep. if you don't want to. Like, you can take as much as you want mm. out of what we do, yep. which is why I really like our business because I think you can I- interact on different levels yep. with it. And some people, you know, come to our cafe every day and come to all our workshops and buy everything that we do. Other people, like, only buy our pickles. Or, you know, it's interesting that people at the workshops often don't even realise that we have a cafe. Like, there's, oh, okay. there's yeah, interesting yeah, yeah.
1: kind yeah. of people, I guess, using it for different yeah. reasons as well. And with your regulars, like... You, I mean, I would imagine most of the people who are bringing the produce mm. are, you know, like Rocket Man with his rocket <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and his latte on his yeah. way to work. Do you get kind of just random people who random you know, all it the time? Really, wow. Well? Um, I mean, we get a
0: lot of repeats, so yep. and it's quite seasonal. So I know every. Um, maybe august that um karen's going to come in and she's going to bring us like 10 boxes of the most amazing rangpur limes and we all scream and we're excited and we take photos with her and we only see her once a year Mm. um we have people that you know are more often come in but honestly we have people who are just will bring in a box of mandarins and we will never ever see them again and they might not get a coffee there's people who just like literally pull up the car drop the mandarins off and leave. Like nothing. They don't want to engage. They don't want anything. And other people are obsessed because we write everyone's name up on the board and yeah. what they've brought in and where they live. Other people are obsessed with being on the board. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really interesting. It's very different how people want to be part I of it. I find that
1: so moving that um, you've had that much reach... That people would just kind of, yep, yeah, I'll just drop off this, and just mm-hmm. knowing, and then just walking away, and just knowing that it's yeah. gone somewhere which is useful. It makes I think it makes people feel really yeah. good and
0: really connected. Yeah,
1: and to be part of that as well, I think to to have people connected with being able to um, show that kind of add adding value to other people in their community. Yeah, without actually wanting any rewards or yeah, recognition. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? It's really beautiful. It. They're my yeah. favorites. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> How transferable is what you do here Mm -hmm. in the inner west of Sydney Mm -hmm. to other communities. 100%
0: transferable. You've just got to have someone who wants to do it. And I think all communities would respond really well to what we're doing, and I know that they do because how much people want Cornersmith to be in their own neighbourhood. So, yeah, I think it's just about finding someone who cares about all the stuff that Cornersmith is about and encouraging them pushing them like it's almost like the community needs to get behind someone to create what I'm doing in the, in a neighborhood you know people who run businesses like this people who are so passionate about whatever they do and especially yep. if it has a community or environmental sustainability aspect to it are not driven by money and yep. by growing and be, yeah. being being a bigger and better business They're yep. sort of like first and foremost for us comes our ethos and we would make a lot more money if we did things differently but I would not sleep at night if we you know didn't only use true free-range meats or you know source our produce the way that I want to source it or you know pay our staff you know whatever it is that kind of feels right to me and I think that's look it's a really tough one because at you know at some point you also have to make a living out of what you do and you know we are lucky that that is part of what we do but we're not driven by money yeah um Sometimes I wish that we were. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like for every decision we make in our business, it seems to be that that's what drives us first and is what's going to kind of keep the momentum going if we can keep the business afloat.
1: Yeah, and I think that's wonderful that you have that really ingrained sense of social responsibility Mm. because um, that's really, you know, you see this in terms of moving around contemporary business models that the ones that are doing Mm. really, really well have that ethos at their heart, they're something that wants to give something back to their communities yeah yeah
0: but i think also what you know in uh, big cities and urban areas there needs to be support for businesses like this who are doing things in a different way and i don't know it needs maybe for governments it needs to become more of a priority and people need to realize they're supporting a business i mean people need to put their money where their mouth is really and support you know come here rather than go down the road where they're
1: not doing the same thing as well because you know as we've you know discussed you you are filling a gap in the community there's something that's missing there and that's that's what's being filled but it is you know not necessarily something that you know in terms of being sustainable you need to grow but you don't want to grow too big because that makes you lose your connection
0: and interestingly I actually think probably the answer for us is to not grow is to to grow kind of behind the scenes or grow sideways or grow as a concept but not as a physical space and I do think that's the future of business is that there's smaller physical businesses with less Overheads and awesome huge concepts.
1: Yeah. Community development experts Kenny and Connors say that making yourself redundant is a key attribute in community development practice. The idea being that community development workers should always aim to put themselves out of a job. To that point, as Alex herself says, she's not interested in growing Cornersmith into a franchise. Instead, her focus is on growing sideways, sharing knowledge, skills, and educating people about food, community, and sustainability. If you were to swap your job just one day, so mm. if you could be mayor, for example, I should be the mayor. You should be the mayor. I know.
0: Is that the answer? Can I be
1: the answer? You, that <laughs> absolutely can be your answer. If we were going to make you mayor yeah. of the city My of true Sydney title, yeah. for the day, yeah, Alex, mayor of, of <laughs> Sydney, what would you do? How would you apply what you've learned here mm. to being mm. mayor for the day?
0: Um, I think that, like I said, I think w- uh, we need to – being driven by money is a big issue, in all of our communities, especially cities, I think we really need to look at that and change mm-hmm. that. Um, I would definitely look at community building, which I know is already being done, um, because I don't think it's that hard to build community. I think part of the problem in Sydney is there's a lot of forced community. Like they try mm-hmm. to create these, you know, bring everything together to try and make it, and it feels a bit soulless, and again, like the big DAG, but I think you've, we've got, like, somehow got to bring the heart back into everything that happens, especially in mm. urban areas as well.
1: I love how much you're doing for the community here. I also am just really in awe of how much you're doing in terms of being a leader for your community and um, on this mission around mm. how we can improve yeah. aspects of our food supply chain, which I think is just so important for everybody to engage with. So thank you so much thank for your you. time today. Thank you for having me. such an interesting conversation with Alex today. Such an amazing amount of content. And from that, I've got three practical takeaways for you. Number one, harvest your chocos. This is all about focusing on what you already have and encouraging others to make the most of their assets too. Number two, return a favour. Simply, this is about acknowledging those who do lots of things for other people and finding ways to support them. And number three, find your inner jam fairy. This is about creating opportunities for people to connect. And it works really well if there's a shared focus, whether that's gardening, cooking, cleaning. It can be something very simple, but anything that really helps people to share knowledge and achieve something together. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure you head over and follow me at Rachel Abel on Facebook or Rachel Abel underscore on Twitter. You can find snippets and additional content on The Missing Piece YouTube channel and all other kinds of posts on our Instagram at tmp.podcast. I'm Rachel Abel, Head of Making Friends, and you've been listening to The Missing Piece.